Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this wonderful day. Lord, I personally thank you, Lord, that you are such a good God and that you care and love for each one of us individually and you also care for us corporately here at Bloomington Covenant Church. I pray that you would bless the things of my heart. Lord, I, I frankly don't want to hear from me. I want to hear from you today. And I pray, God, that you would help me be your vessel and that I would step out of your way and allow the things that I believe you put on my heart come through to the people of Covenant Church this morning, uh, not just to tickle our ears, but to cause change that we might do as James has encouraged us to put our faith in motion with things that would please you. So God, we give you this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, forgive my reading glasses here. I have needed these for the past 20 years, and to see you and see this, I need to do a little bit of this, so pardon me if I do that a little bit. Um, I love this series we've been doing today, or this last number of weeks and months, uh, James, Theology in Motion. I'm personally a a can-do-it guy. I like to do things. God's constantly sending me back and saying, no, let me do it. Your talents and skills are have value, but only under my guidance. And that's, what I think, a lot of what James talks about. Uh, James 4, 11 through 12, we talked about that. One of the things that challenged me is do not speak evil against one another. Don't judge your neighbor. Don't judge them for what they have. James 4, 13 through 17 says, do not presume on what or where you will go tomorrow or what you'll teach on Sunday. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. Make plans. Making plans for our heart, time and money is what God is all about, but he also wants to submit them all to him. We're a mist, you know, and God uses us as he will, but we need to keep our perspective. I would also say that we should not justify our plans, but we should always say, as the Bible says, if the Lord wills, I'll go and do. Also, I challenge us that it says, whoever, I would say, whoever knows the right thing and fails to do it, that's a definition of sin, missing a mark, that if God challenges us on something today even, on something I've said by God's grace, then I would encourage you to act upon it and not just... That tickle your ears. We've been talking about the triangle, uh, that it's all about up, out, and in. And we want to today talk a little bit about all those perspectives that really we want to know Jesus and come to know him better each day. Ultimately, that's the real goal. And as a church, we want to continue to support and grow together as a, as a family. And why we want to use that love we have for each other to extend to others and draw others to the kingdom of God. And that's a little bit we're talking about today. I'm going to talk about a book today called Treasure Principle. I've read this a number of times. I actually taught on it, one of our young adults in my basement years ago. I think a number of you were there for that. And it's been on my heart really to talk about this for the church. I mentioned this to elders a while back. It's something I felt would be good for reminding us, especially in in the the theme of um, James. And the the theme of the Treasure Principle is, is simply this. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means about storing up treasures for heaven, treasures in heaven. I also want to refer back to Ben's um, sermon on August 2nd. His big idea was everything we have, our hearts, our time, our money, belongs to Jesus Christ. Now, I say that, and I know I don't get it very well. Everything is under God's authority. Everything we have is really God's to begin with. I love Ben's story where he talked about being convicted to give to a guy that was begging. And he kind of walked past and then God convicted him and he went back and gave the guy money. And he gave the guy money he really couldn't afford because he, he was going to a conference and he needed the money for food. He needed money to cover the conference and going to the conference, God provided for him. He gave and then God filled in that gap. And that's not the reason he gave. You don't give expecting something back. You give because it's the right thing to do. But God does seem to make things whole. 
as we are faithful. And I also like uh, the bottom of Ben's email. Every time I get it, it makes me smile. It says, every email he sends out, there's not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign of all, does not cry, mine. It's mine. You're mine. Your bank account's mine. Your house is mine. The food in your refrigerator is mine. The shoes you're wearing, your kids, they're all mine. There's nothing, not one square inch of the whole domain of our human existence that God does not cry out, mine. So I want to keep that in mind as we talk today. I also want to give props to uh, Matt Paget and Dan Watt. Thank you guys for um, teaching the Financial Peace uh, program. There's a couple couples here that attended that, and really it's all about being faithful stewards of your money and how you can do that and how you can be faithful and how you can live a life of peace because money oftentimes does not bring peace. The more you get, it doesn't bring peace. The less you get doesn't bring peace. What brings peace is Jesus Christ and you using what you have for him. So I get the picture of the book up there. If you're so inclined, that's the book, Treasure Principle. Um, if you look at treasureprinciple on, on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, it's out there. It's a great little book. It's not real thick. So I would encourage you, if you're so motivated, after I teach you a little bit on this today, to read it. I'm not going to disclose everything in the book, but it does give you a pretty good perspective of, of giving. This sermon, by the way, is not subtitled Tithing. I'm not going to really talk about tithing today. In fact, it's kind of funny. I was talking to someone before the meeting. Tithing is just a teeny bit of what our experience in our giving strategy should be for God. It's a tiny bit. God owns it all anyway, and you're merely stewards. So this is all about your heart. I love that song, Greg, that we sang this morning. Take my heart, Lord. Take my heart. And that's ultimately what God wants. Frankly, he doesn't need your money. doesn't need your stuff. doesn't really need your talents, your skills. He gives them to you, though, and he is blessed when you use it to serve him. He doesn't need them, but he certainly uses them. The context of these verses I'm going to show out of Matthew 6 is uh, Jesus was given the Sermon on the Mount. You go ahead to that next slide, Joe. Uh, he was given the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and very, very poignant sermon, as you could well imagine. You can just imagine he's on the, the side of the hill. Uh, fortunately, I had the pleasure and benefit of being over there a couple times to see the actual hill over the Sea of Galilee. It's a phenomenal experience just to see where he was at and speaking over the, the crowds there. So he gives the Sermon on the Mount. He gives the Lord's Prayer, which uh, I know for another time we could talk more about that. I know my friend Al Caperna loves to see the Lord's Prayer as God's mission statement. We're all about mission statements where I work, and and uh, Lord's Prayer could easily be God's mission statement if you read through that from that perspective. But he says in Matthew 6, verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy. And it ends up by saying, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, these you've all read these scriptures, a lot of you. Um, I mean, when you take these to heart, it, it should be a life-changing experience about what you do with your stuff. It really should. I want to read this to you. You've seen the scripture in Matthew 13, where it says, The kingdom of, tre- kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found... And covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, that's just two little sentences there, two little sentences. And I want to take the liberty here. Out of the book, there's a, it kind of embellishes that story a bit. So if I can wax a little theatric for a moment here, just to kind of give you a perspective of what that really meant at that time. 
A first century Hebrew walks alone on a hot afternoon, staff in hand, his shoulders stooped, sandals covered with dirt, tunic stained with sweat. But he doesn't stop to rest. He is pressing business and issues. He's on his way. I mean, I, that's the way we all are. We're on our way somewhere. He veers off the road, takes a shortcut. The owner won't mind. Travelers are permitted this, you know, travelers are permitted this courtesy. The field's uneven. You know, you can imagine a, a field just not uh, very smooth. To keep his balance, he thrusts his staff into the dirt. So he's walking forward with his staff, and then whap, his staff strikes something hard. He stops, wipes his brow, pokes again, thunk, something under there, and it's not a rock. The weary traveler tells himself he can't afford to linger. I'm too busy. I've got appointments to make. But his curiosity won't let him go, and maybe it was the Holy Spirit nudging him. He jabs at the ground. Something reflects a sliver of sunlight. He drops to his knees and starts to dig. Five minutes later, he's uncovered it, a case fringed with gold. Ooh. By the looks of it, it's been there for decades. Heart racing, he pries off the rusty lock and opens a lid. Golds, gold coins, jewelry, precious stones of every color, a treasure more valuable than anything he's ever imagined. I'll paraphrase. It might have Bill Gates beat. We're talking about a massive treasure here. Hands shaking, the traveler inspects the coin issued in Rome over 70 years ago. Some wealthy man must have buried the case and died suddenly, the secret of the treasure's location dying with him. There's no homestead nearby. Sure, the current landowner has no clue that the treasure's here. Now, again, Jesus brings this story up about he finds a treasure and he goes back to buy it. So it seems like, hey, this guy's pretty greedy. I would suggest he's just being nudged by the Holy Spirit. The traveler closes the lid, buries the chest where he found it, and marks a spot. He turns around heading home, and now he's not plotting. He's skipping like a little boy. What a find. Unbelievable. I've got to have that treasure, but I just can't take it. That'd be stealing. Whoever owns the field must own what's in it. But how can I afford it? I'll sell my farm, my crops, all my tools, my prize oxen, everything I got. I'm all in, man. This is it. I'm taking everything I got. Yes, if I sell everything, it ought to be enough to buy the field, which has the treasure in it. From the moment of this discovery, the traveler's life changes, as you can well imagine. The treasure captures his imagination, becomes the stuff of his dreams. It's his reference point in the new center, is his new center of gravity. The traveler takes a new step with his treasure in mind. He experiences a radical paradigm shift. This story is captured by Jesus in that verse. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. This parable in Matthew, right in the, in, the, in the context of the being at the Sermon on the Mount, is one of many, 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 many in the New Testament talks about money. In fact, this author says 15%, I don't know if it's 15 or 14 or 13, but it's a significant percent of all everything Christ said, the, the red stuff in the, the uh, Gospels relates to the topic of money or finances or stuff more than his teachings on heaven and hell combined must be important and jesus was focused on this and many scriptures we're going to talk about a few more of those it says in also verse 45 of matthew again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought that treasure. So it's a constant theme. I'm going to talk about six principal keys. I'll get through these fairly quickly for you. Again, it might be good to read the book, but they're all scriptural-based ways of thinking about your treasure. It doesn't mean just your money. It also might mean your time. It also might mean your talent, your skills. First one, God owns everything. We talked about that before. 
and I'm his money manager. Again, you know, Dan and Matt both have a profession in money management as well as a number of others. And it's really God's money, and I'm just, I'm just the manager of this stuff. We're the managers of God, the assets God has entrusted to us, not given to us, entrusted to us. And if you think of your money and your stuff, your home, your car, your, everything you have as God's, and you're entrusted with it, that's a little different perspective. It's like when you're leasing or renting a property. A little different. When you own the home, you can put a hole anywhere you want on the wall. When you're renting a property, you've got to be careful because the owner may not like that. Well, you basically are leasing your stuff from God. He's granted it for you for this season. You don't get to keep it forever because when you die, it goes. Somebody else gets it. You don't get to keep it. You're only a money manager or a stuff manager for your life. It says in Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So when I'm asked the question, should you tithe, should you give, the answer is, what is God telling you? It's His. If He's saying give it all, give it all. If He's saying give a percentage, give, be seeking the Lord about what you have and how God wants you to give it. doesn't mean to give it away frivolously, because we'll talk about the talents in a little bit. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, talks about the um, owner giving talents to his servants, three different levels of, of, of uh, talents. And in all cases, he wanted them to be faithful what he had lent them, given them, to do something with it. So the first principle is God owns everything. Keep that in your mind. I'm his money manager. I'm the Edward Jones of, of uh, God's money, if I could use a plug for Edward Jones there. Number two, my heart always goes where I put God's money. You want to know where your heart is? Take a look at your checkbook. Look at your bank account where you have, you know, like me, I've got a places. If you look at your list of who you're, you're, you're writing checks to, because mine's online, you can go down, go down and look at the list. Who are you giving money to? Obviously, you've got to eat, you've got to sleep, you've got responsibilities, but where, is your, where are your assets going? Watch what happens when you reallocate your money from temporal things to eternal things. We'll talk a little bit later about how you can do that. This is in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is. Again, there your heart will be also. And there's some other scriptures, even in the Old Testament. Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord God Almighty. It's mine. There's nothing in our existence that isn't, that God doesn't say that is mine. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You could say, well, you know, hey, dude, I, I worked hard. I used my, my brain, made some good decisions, and I made a lot of money. Great. It's the talents he gave you that allowed you to get the money and the stuff to begin with. You're not your own. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 also says, You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Jesus Christ bought you for a price. Ben's big idea from August 2nd was everything we have, again, hearts, time, and money belong to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ bought everything for us. He, he bought our sin as well. One thing I would encourage you, though, with all this, again, where your heart is, so goes your money. Don't create a checklist of things to do for God, but out of your heart, your love relationship with Him and personal time with Him and His Word, then go do. Not bad to create a checklist, but that's not, God doesn't let us off that easy. He, he desires our heart. Here's my heart, Lord. Take it. When He takes your heart, you got to realize he's got your heart. Don't take it back. Let him keep your heart. 
So when you're talking about your stuff and being faithful, do you go help out Global Connections this weekend? Not everybody can or should, but some of you probably should. Some of you maybe be uncomfortable doing that, but maybe you should. Seek the Lord. That's what he wants. You, you to seek him for what you give in terms of your time or your money. Number three, heaven, the new earth, is not the present one. Excuse me, not the present one is my home. Heaven's my home, not earth. It says in Hebrews eleven sixteen, we are citizens of a better country, a heavenly one. And again, those faithful servants, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, mentions them all in Hebrews 11. They all died in faith, it says in verse 13, having not received the things promised, but have seen them and greeted them from afar, distance. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, they were seeking a homeland. So heaven is our home. That's where we're headed. We're going to spend eternity there. Earth is a short time, be it a few days, a few minutes, or a hundred years. Compared to eternity, it's a fairly short time. While we're here, realize that it's, it's still God's, not just when we get to heaven. Philippians 3.20 says, we're citizens of a better country, a heavenly one. We need to act like that. So, how do you send it ahead? Let me give an example of, of uh, what might motivate you to send it ahead and, and why you may not, the money you have today or the stuff you have today or your resources may or may not have value today. During the uh, Civil War, if you had a bunch of Confederacy money, millions of dollars of Confederacy money, towards the end of the war and you realize, hey, when this, when this thing ends, we're losing the battle, I might want to have some other currency in hand because this stuff's going to be worthless. So if you're a smart person, you would take all your money and invest in northern dollars. Another way to think of it is this. If you knew you are going to move to England, and when you move there, the only resources you have is what you have when you get there. You can't take anything with you. So you'd probably take your U.S. dollars and convert them to sterling currency in the U.K., in England. If you're smart. Otherwise, when you get there, all your dollars are worthless and meaningless. Well, if you're going to think of your money as yours today, and it's going to be worthless someday when you die, then it makes sense to send it ahead as best you can in terms of what you do with your resources. Fourth point is I should live for today, live today, not for the dot, but for the line. What that means is today's a dot. Again, whether your life is short or long, it's a dot. It's a very short period of time. That's your life on earth. The line is your life in heaven. It's a continued line. And I love this next phrase um, by Jim Elliott. It's been quoted oftentimes. He's a missionary to Ecuador. I believe he also lost his life in the mission field. And he was a journaler. And he journaled this on October 28, 1949. He is no fool who parts with that which he cannot keep when he is sure to be recompensed or rewarded for that which he cannot lose. You can work your whole life to gather up resources, money, bigger house, more stuff, etc. But you can't keep it. So he is no fool, parts with those things, gives those away, uses them for God's resources versus our own, when he's sure to be recompensed for that which he cannot lose, which is eternal life in heaven with Christ. So getting more is not the issue. It's not bad nor good. Lottery winners, however, often end up worse off, and you guys have probably seen the stats on that. Getting a lot of money doesn't solve problems. It typically makes it more difficult. Matthew six nineteen again says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but the, but the dot, which is the dot, 
Uh, but in 620, it says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moss, rust, rust, and thieves cannot touch. That's the line. Lay up treasures in heaven. Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 12 says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor will he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether each little or too much, but full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So it doesn't matter if we have a lot or a little, really. What matters is what you do with what you got. Are you being faithful with what you have? Of course, you all know the story of the widow's mite that walked into church one day and gave the last little, a mite's like a, I don't know, thousands of a penny, very little bottom of uh, worth in monetary uh, viewpoint, but it was worth everything for her. She gave a mite, which was for her, like any of us, given half our wealth probably. So it's not a matter of what you have, how much, but what you do have is God's. Use it for his glory. Use it for him. Number five is giving is the only antidote to materialism. Maybe it's not the only antidote, but certainly a big one. Giving is a joyful surrender to a greater person and a greater agenda. A greater agenda. It dethrones me and exalts him. So when you give out of your heart, it really takes you off the throne. It puts him on it. It says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. It says in 2 Corinthians 8, 2, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Think about that. He's writing to the church of Corinthians. He says, this is Paul, out of their most severe trial, things weren't going that great. Their overflowing joy, despite that, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Didn't well up in, got to hold my stuff because I may not have enough for food tonight. It welled up in rich generosity. And Paul commended that. So the big idea, we like big ideas here at Covenant, is the very act of giving is a vivid reminder that it's all about God, not about us. It's saying I'm not the point. He's the point. He does not exist for me. I exist for him. It's God's money. It's his talent in me and his time that he's given me. He has a higher purpose than my affluence. Again, doesn't mean being affluent is a bad or a good thing. It means that whatever you have is his, and are you being a faithful steward of that? Because God's also got a blessing. I, I don't have this in my notes here, but I'm, I st- one of my favorite scriptures, you, I'm sure you can tell why, was when Solomon was talking about what he wanted. He wanted wisdom. And God said, well, since you asked for wisdom to basically deal with the people that he's responsible for, I'll give you that, and I'll also give you wealth. I'll bless you materially. Now, Solomon could have said, no, no, I don't take that. No, I just want to have it all come back to you. No, God said, I want you to be a steward of a lot of wealth. And so Solomon was. So God can bless with monetary or other things. And it's not a good, again, not a good or bad thing. The, the, the uh, question you have to ask is, why do I have it? Why has God given it to me? 2 Corinthians 8, 7 says, See that you excel in the grace of giving. The grace of giving, not out of, the, out, of a, out of a desire to check something off the list or necessarily to help somebody out. Those are not necessarily bad motives, but the better motive is out of God's grace I'm giving. So here's some practical advice. Um, pray for God to give you wisdom on how and who to give it to. And that's a good start. So if you don't know, get 
you know, sent tomorrow, sent this afternoon or tomorrow, you're thinking about this sermon maybe, and how do I give? Ask God. Talk with your wife or husband. Talk with your friends. Talk with your mom or dad. Seek the Lord and others. How do I, what should I be giving to? How much? Second point you can do practically is practice giving. You know, it's okay to stop by a beggar on the street and give him a five spot or ten. They may take the money and blow it on alcohol. That's not your call. You know, obviously you want to do with, with God's direction, not willy-nilly, but practice giving. Take some risks. Give a little to ministries and needs, a little bit. You know, a lot of ministries are seeking. I mean, a lot of us get contact on a regular basis. They have needs to support the ministry. Take some risks and give to a few of them something. Remember, it's all God's money anyway. Remember the parable of talents in Matthew 25. Do not bury, do not waste, but invest in the kingdom. And God will present those things to you. I doubt many of you are sitting here today going, I don't know what I would give to. I bet you have a lot, a lot of things you could give to that would be worthwhile. And again, it's not your responsibility what that ministry or what that person does with it. I mean, you obviously want to be shrewd and wise and give to those ministries and people that you think will use it correctly, but that's not your call necessarily. Let the leading of the Holy Spirit help you take some risks. Don't bury it. Don't waste it. God honors those that invest. So charity and giving is an act of obedience. But do it out of your heart. Your love relationship and personal time with Him, and that's where it needs to extend from. So if you're not spending much time with God, it's kind of hard to hear from Him. So if you don't know what to give to, spend some time with the Lord. And I also love Matthew 22, verse 36 through 40. It says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Is it to give a lot to people? Is it to follow the Ten Commandments faithfully? No. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So as you think about your stuff, your giving, how God would motivate you to be uh, a faithful, generous giver, what does the Lord say? What is he talking to you about? Are you loving him? Is this a loving expression uh, out of your time with God that you would take your stuff and be willing to share it with somebody else? So whatever you do, whatever giving strategy or plan you have, Subject it all to loving God and and loving God and loving your neighbor. That's your filter. It's just loving God and loving my neighbor. The sixth and final point is God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but my standard of giving. So if God does give you more, it's not just so you can do more with it for yourself, but ask the Lord, what do you want me to do with this? How do I share and how do I faithfully steward what you've given me? have another example. I'm a, I love the Lord's parables and such, so I'll, I'll give you one. So you're shipping something important that you want to get to someone. Say, I'm shipping something to a friend over in Europe. You wrap it up, you hand it to the FedEx guy, and what would you think if the FedEx guy said delivering the package, took it home, opened it, and kept it for himself? Now, a good friend of mine, um, Ryan, he works at UPS, and his job is to make sure things get to where they're supposed to get. Guess what? They don't always get to where they're supposed to get. People steal things, including employees. 
And so his job is to make sure that there's procedures in place at the UPS shop up there in Maumee, I believe it is, to make sure that what gets shipped gets delivered. Well, the Holy Spirit may be a little bit like Orion, in that the Holy Spirit should be your guide if you're been given if you're been given something. You're the carrier. You're the you're the FedEx guy that's been given your money, your stuff, your house, etc. And what are you supposed to do with it? Keep it, or has God have another purpose for it? And let the Holy Spirit be your guide. Are you stealing from the Lord just because He lets you steward it? Or are you using it faithfully? Again, that's a kind of a silly example, but I think it does bring it to mind that it is God's and that it's in our hands. We're a delivery boy or girl. What's he intend for us to do with it? Could be for personal use, but it may not be as well. Second Corinthians 8, verse 14, 15 says, Your abundance at the present time should supply their need, whatever your abundance is, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. So whether you have a lot or a little, what Paul's saying you got what you need. You have plenty to give. So whatever you have, be thankful for it and use it to His glory. So been back to the big idea to finish up here. The very act of giving is a vivid reminder that it's all about God, not about us. It's saying, I am not the point. He's the point. He doesn't exist for me. I exist for Him. It's God's money. It's God's talent that He's given me, a steward to be, and it's His time that I have. He has a higher purpose than just for me to be affluent and use it for selfish purposes. So keep that in mind. So that's my heart. That's the burden I had to share with you all this morning. Hopefully there's at least a couple nuggets you can gain from that uh, to think about this week. Pray about it as you start your week out tomorrow, Monday, and begin working again for the, for the week. Um, this is also the time when, uh, Greg, you want to come on up here and get um, started with uh, worship?